This is Live Well Talk on COVID-19. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unity Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Today's podcast, I'm going to give an update on natural versus vaccine-induced immunity, uh, the masking guidance, latest vaccine news, including boosters, and Pfizer's recent announcement that its uh, vaccine is safe and effective in children's ages 5 to 11. Uh, and also we'll discuss how we can stay hopeful and optimistic during during the pandemic that uh, seems to be never ending some days. Uh, in the hospital, we continue to see a significant number of the patients admitted to the hospital are actually uh, unvaccinated. And it is about an 80-20 breakdown right now. So of the COVID patients that are in the hospital, 80% of them are unvaccinated. And of that, of those patients, significantly more are in, proportionally in the ICU than out on the floors. Uh, overall, our COVID numbers are about 20% of our inpatient staff. So 80% of our patients don't have COVID. We're just busy. And we've mentioned that in other podcasts that I think uh, that is directly related or is significantly influenced by the shutdowns last year and how colon cancers and diabetes and heart disease kept progressing during that time. It does affect our ability to do elective surgeries because of that paradigm or that observation that shutting down previously may have influenced the volumes that we're seeing now. We don't feel it's a good decision to uh, completely shut down surgeries. So we're, we continue to do surgeries and procedures and have outpatient uh, diagnostic tests perform and workups and outpatient visits. But we have had to be more strategic on what surgeries we select and also whether or not those patients come to the hospital after that surgical procedure as opposed to go home. That's so we can continue to uh, be able to treat traumas and other emergent conditions, which at this juncture we uh, certainly can. Uh, our hospital uh, has not been on ambulance diversion during this recent Delta surge, and uh, we've been able to accommodate all severity of illness that presents to our emergency room. Next update I wanted to give is uh, natural versus vaccine-induced immunity. What, what's of interest, uh, I think we can tie that into the booster announcement of last week. So the FDA has a committee, the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, uh, and then also the, the other advisory committee is on immunization practices. They haven't looked at this yet, but they they voted 16 to 2 not to provide boosters to uh, the general population. And you really have to read the news articles and they'll come out in print better, more closely than just simply listening to the headline. Because they didn't say that the vaccines were unsafe. They just said that it wasn't, there wasn't definitive evidence that they did not cause significant myocarditis and pericarditis in young males. And so they felt at this time that it, it is not imperative to give the general population boosters. But then they voted 18 to zero, meaning unanimous, that boosters for those greater than 65 years of age or serious risk uh, factors uh, such as ongoing chemotherapy, uh, solid organ transplants, uh, chronic prednisone at a certain dose and other immune modulating drugs for for example, um, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, et cetera. So out of that data that they looked at to make that decision about the booster, um, they also found that the vaccines themselves, although they may decrease in efficacy or let's keep the term simple here, strength, at the farther post-vaccination, despite that 
decrease, they do have still enough efficacy to significantly present disease and death. So even though they drop a little bit, and that does account for some of the breakthrough cases we're seeing, it definitely does not have the weakness that would warrant giving a booster. Now, there's some immunologists I mentioned on previous podcasts that they think maybe it should be a three-dose regimen to begin with, and I think that'll be settled in the near future. But I think the bottom line is that the committee that met last week and made the recommendation to the FDA, it's non-binding. It's just considered a recommendation. Uh, but they t- historically, they've followed these recommendations quite closely, uh, has said that the, the booster is not needed because the vaccines are still uh, of a degree of strength that prevents disease and, and death. The committee also, uh, which I really don't understand what this means, but they said on an unofficial poll, uh, they uh, did um, also believe that high-risk exposed patients and healthcare workers should consider getting the booster. So we're going to have to read a little bit more on that and what actually it meant as a further criteria. But I, I thought that was interesting that two of the three votes were official and one of them was considered, quote, unofficial poll. Uh, we'll have to see what comes out of that. Natural immunity versus vaccine-induced immunity. I think that I think you can look at the Israeli data that's yet to be peer-reviewed, and you can take away one solid conclusion from that, is that if you've had COVID-19 and you receive the vaccine, it's safe. So the, the no harm uh, falls that patient, as long as you're past the recovery period. Not, we won't want to give it to you when you're acutely ill. And I, I think the Israeli data does study that. The Israeli data also indicated that perhaps natural immunity uh, was stronger than the vaccine, but that that data is not as solid as the headlines make it sound. And if you dig a little bit more into the data, it, it, it's it's not as convincing. And I've done that since our last podcast. Uh, and so the uh, jury is still out. And that was only it was only Pfizer that was used in Israel, uh, which is of interest uh, because on this country we have a. Oh, it's probably about 60, 30, 10, uh, 60% Pfizer, 30% Moderna, and then 10% J&J. And I think those percentages are, are climbing a little bit from the Moderna and the J&J product. But it is becoming apparent that the Pfizer at about 120 days, this is how the morbidity and mortality weekly report, does drop from an efficacy of 91% to 77% after 120 days, so four months. And if you remember, we talked about uh, the data that we had from uh, some patients that were hospitalized here at St. Luke's. We could see whether or not they were vaccinated. And if they were vaccinated, the average length of time between the vaccination and the COVID infection was 4.6 months. So uh, that that four month appears to be a marker uh, that that identifies some uh, waning efficacy or strength of the COVID uh, the Pfizer COVID vaccine. But also during this recent meeting of the FDA, the advisory committee, that Moderna drops from 93% up to 120 days to 92%. So it preserves some degree of strength. So that gap is kind of increasing. And that'll be interesting to see um, how that folds out as we get more and more uh, data. And we'll certainly keep you up to date on that. The FDA has issued a statement this week that uh, it can be given to children uh, ages 5 to 11. At this time, it's not uh, approved by the FDA for that. And as far as uh, Unipoint Health uh, you know, and, and the medical community, we're anxious to get that data. But we continue to uh, uh, adhere to FDA recommendations as we do with other medications. 
and that has not been uh, granted yet. So we'll keep a close eye on that. I believe it is a smaller dose for the children, about a third of the dose, but uh, I need to see a little bit more data on that uh, and, and to see just what they mean by, uh, I think they describe it as a robust immune response and, and how that translates into protection. That, that'll, be, that'll be interesting. I think as a physician, the, the first thing you ask yourself is something safe, and then does something work? And the vaccines are clearly as safe, and they clearly have an effectiveness that does influence disease and the possibility of hospitalization and death. Uh, and I think we can move forward knowing that uh, the safety and efficacy there are there to protect us. Despite that, there continues to be a vaccine hesitancy. Uh, and all I can really come down to say is have a conversation with your physician if you're still hesitant, uh, and that they are safe uh, and they are effective. Uh, they, there is breakthrough cases, particularly with Pfizer. However, they do prevent hospitalizations. And if you are hospitalized, the chances of you not being in the intensive care unit are significantly higher, meaning you won't be in the intensive care unit if you're vaccinated. I think the boosters to those over the age of 65 and with chronic medical conditions is completely safe and, and probably warranted uh, as they may be the, the patients that will not mount a uh, adequate immune response. Uh, here in the state of Iowa, the masking guidance uh, continues to be uh, a controversy at the school level at least, but uh, we continue to recommend the CDC recommendations that if you're in high transmission, you should mask in indoor facilities. We've had three weekends of college football now, so we'll have to see. Uh, if that influences, uh, uh, as well as the kids have been back to school, I think, four weeks now. So uh, that, that, that will be um, an influence at some level, and I think that's yet to be determined. I, I mentioned in the past that uh, I, we're past a peak, and, I, and I, I, I th that was, that, that's not the correct way to describe it. I think we've peaked, but now we're, it's going to be a significant plateau, much longer than I thought. I was wrong about that. I thought, much like the United Kingdom and some parts of India, that we would have a peak and it would come down quickly because it moves so quickly, uh, the transmissibility of the Delta variant is higher. But one thing that, we, that I didn't account for was that, remember, we, we talked about this before on other podcasts and also uh, in various public forums, that during a pandemic, you have a susceptible bucket of the population, an infected bucket of the population, and recovered. And remember, when we started, it was susceptible as everyone. And we were afraid that just as we wouldn't want everyone to have a car accident, all the car accidents for one year happened on a Tuesday, uh, that would overwhelm the system. We didn't want everyone to get sick at once. And that's, that's why we took the measures that we did. So the Delta virus came into the community and I thought we would have greater protection from the vaccines and would have, wouldn't have the number of breakthrough cases we have. So the actual susceptible bucket was more full than what, we, than what I thought it was. And I think that's why you're seeing this delayed uh, or this ongoing plateau that stays rather steady uh, in the preceding uh, weeks uh, and is not precipitously dropping. Uh, some of the analytics from Unipoint Health, they have really smart people with really smart computer programs, I guess, and uh, they, they think that this will go to the end of October. Um, that's yet to be seen. There are, each day, there's some optimistic numbers you see. The, the wastewater amount of the Delta variant uh, for Cedar Rapids uh, has dropped 
two weeks, two reports in a row, which is that's very encouraging. But then the reproduction number will be below one for a couple of days. And then this morning is up to 1.24, I think, meaning for every case of COVID-19, 1.2 cases develop. So that still means it's spreading. We want that number below one. I think one, I think one of the uh, things that patients and people can do uh, to help with pandemic and hospital volumes is to get a flu shot. Uh, influenza season is coming. We do not know if it'll be a season like last year, which was virtually non-existent here in uh, here at St. Luke's. But a, a flu shot will help prevent excessive burden on healthcare and will, will significantly help uh, with uh, controlling the pandemic as we go into the flu season. I, I also read this week that um, the COVID-19 has more deaths than the um, Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, in 1919 here in the United States. So more people have died from COVID-19 than died from the Spanish flu. Uh, from a historical standpoint, I, I think there's something interesting about that is that the reason, you, you know why they called it the Spanish flu? This is interesting. So World War One's going on and neither the Allies or the Central Powers wanted to put into their newspapers that their soldiers were dying from influenza. But the Spanish newspapers, which was a neutral country at the time, uh, wrote a story about it. So it came out to be the, uh, or reported on it, and it came out to be referred to the Spanish flu when it nece didn't necessarily have anything to do with Spain from that standpoint. And what was scary back then, it was that younger people died. And that's always been thought to be because of antigenic drift, and we won't get into that, but the virus had some uh, virility that people with competent immune systems, it was triggered to such a degree that they became sick. And they've gone back and looked at that, and that's probably not what happened. Actually, what probably happened is they saw there was a uh, outbreak or a uh, mild pandemic, uh, if uh, if there's such a term as mild pandemic, that occurred in the 188, late 1880s. And they think that people that had it during that time and survived carried over some degree of immunity during the Spanish flu. So elderly patients were disproportionately protected compared to younger patients. Um, and I once had a, a patient when I first started, uh, and he grew up in South Dakota, and he was, he was well into his 90s when I took care of him. That was 20 years ago, um, and he's since passed away. But he would tell the story where his job, he's like eight or nine years old, and his job was to ride with the town doctor and keep him awake during the day when he was driving from house to house to, to visit uh, uh, in influenza-affected families. And it was, it was just a really dramatic story. And uh, it's always sad when an elderly person passes because the wisdom of all those stories passes with them. And that's certainly something that uh, is, is, is to be missed. You know, I, I was thinking last evening about this podcast, and I, and I wanted to go over some things that I've learned during this pandemic thus far. One is I learned what a pangolin was. I didn't know pangolins existed, but I did learn that. I also learned that Mother Nature and viruses can humble you pretty quickly. Just when you think you got them figured out and you can, and you think you know where, what direction things are going, uh, they they come back and they 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 keep you humble. And that that certainly is true, particularly with my recent uh, assessment of whether or not we'd have a narrow peak uh, that has turned in more to a plateau. And I, I I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that I think. We know what we do. We know how we do it. But in times like this, you learn your why, why you do it. And it's important 
if you don't know your why in life, why you do what you do, learn it. Because I think that's a valuable lesson, a life lesson, not just for pandemics, but for anything, just to, to know why you do it. And find, so learn your why, find it. Uh, and I think you'll, you'll find a greater degree of fulfillment. Now, the team I work with here at the hospital, they're tired. It, it, it's physically and mentally exhausting to take care of these patients day after day. Uh, each day to come in and to have to calculate, okay, how are we going to do the schedule today so we can accommodate traumas and, and other emergencies, which we can, as well as take care of elective or scheduled surgical procedures. And they, they know their why, and that's why they're getting the job done. And I think when we know our why we do stuff, it, it, does, it, does, it, does, it does keep you going and it helps each other know that. And part of the why for... I think any team, whether it's football or military or a hospital staff, is to support each other. And some of the things you do, you, you do for the sake of the person next to you. And that's important. But I want to assure the community and the listeners that when you see that blue sign with the white H on it, no matter how tired or fatigued we are or how many patients we have, the, there'll be per, trained professionals here to help you. And that, that is one promise to this community that we'll, we'll never forget. Thanks for listening to the COVID-19 update. For the latest COVID-19 information, visit uh, unitypoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.